0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Mindful Metal Jacket. I am Joe List, and we are back with fresh, full, new interview episodes. I'm so excited. Thank you for your patience. I took a little bit of a hiatus, and I want to thank again the producers of this show who kindly put together uh, some compilations of past episodes, which people seem to really enjoy. I appreciate you sticking around for it, and uh, I hope. Welcome to any new folks that may be coming in. Please subscribe, go back and listen to old episodes. There are hours and hours and hours of interviews with uh, comedians and Buddhists, meditation teachers, authors, doctors, scientists, all kinds of stuff. uh, Talking about anxiety, stress, therapy, all kinds of mental health And uh, I think there's a lot of laughs in there and certainly a lot of wisdom. So go check it out. You can watch it on YouTube, my YouTube. Make sure to subscribe to that or Laugh Buttons YouTube. And you can go and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a nice review. Leave a nice comment, share, like, all the things that all us podcasts would like you to do. You know how it goes. Took a little bit of a hiatus. Been a little um just uh, overwhelmed with stuff as we got back into real life. I hope everybody's healthy and uh, transitioning back into real life. Uh, again, it's very exciting. I don't think I've ever been more grateful for anything in my life to be at the Comedy Cellar, packed, sold out, no masks, no plastic, no nothing. Well, not no nothing, something. Love, exchange of ideas, laughs. You get it, anyways. I'm glad you're here today. Very special episode back. I am chatting with one of my best friends in the whole wide world of all time. Not only that, but in my opinion, the best comedian to come out in the last I don't know when he started 15 years. I just think he's the best. It's Sam Marill. You already knew that, I assume. There's a it's written in the episode thing below me if you're watching. it sounds like I just said below me, which is a joke from my previous special. Anyways, Sam Murill is one of my best friends. I've known him a long time. We had a great conversation. I was in Austin at the time. We talked over Zoom. And uh, like I said, Sam is one of my favorite comedians. I think we might talk about it. When I first met Sam, I actually wasn't a huge fan of him personally. I was blown away by his comedy not that I wasn't a huge fan, I liked him, but we had a contentious first trip. We flew to the wrong airport. I think we discussed all this. Uh, We went on the wrong day to the wrong airport. Sam couldn't drive well. And um, I was also uh, in the throes of alcoholism, anxiety, and my life was sort of coming apart at the seams. So in my mind, I was blaming him. And um, as you do when you're a drunk, anxious, depressed person, but Anyways, now we're uh, great friends and have been for many years, and uh, he's one of my most supportive friends, and I feel grateful that I know him, and I feel grateful that I get to watch his comedy, as should you. I'm sure you've seen his special, and uh, if you haven't, make sure to watch it. It's on YouTube. It's got millions of views, and then he put out another special during pandemic. And uh, he's one of the most prolific writers, and he makes me want to be a better comic. And uh, we had a great conversation. We talked about his, um, his upbringing and his parents' divorce, his stepfather, his bad back, anxiety therapy, Alan, and um, comedy, a lot of comedy talk, and his approach to writing. And it was just a great conversation. I enjoyed the hell out of it, and I can't think of a better way to get us back into the swing of things with mindful metal jackets so i'm glad you're here and uh i'll shut up and uh, you guys can enjoy the conversation but first a little wisdom from the great t.s Eliot, who is a wonderful writer who i've read none of his stuff and it's pretty simple he said every moment is a fresh beginning Hi, right, folks this moment right here you can begin again Let go of everything you were worried about and enjoy this conversation with the great Sam Barrill. Thank you. All right, I'm here. We're back. This is like the first episode back after hiatus, and uh, I had to go one of my best buds in the world, Sam Burrell. I'm, I'm honored to be asked to, to do it, man. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm excited to have you. Well, first of all, I, I never get to see you. I, I think we've probably talked about this before, but which is my number one line on every podcast, but I'm just so self-conscious. As a comic, I'm so self-conscious about people hearing me
1: say stuff I've said before. Do you have that at all? Or you don't of give course, yeah, okay. no, I, I drink, so I repeat myself, con- it's embarrassing, it's like, it, it's terrible
0: Yeah, because all the fans of Tuesdays with Stories, I just say that before everything, because I'm like, I think we talked about this, because we've done <laughs> 700 hours, and everyone <laughs> gives me shit, and Mark gives me shit, but I'm like, well, I feel like a dick telling a story because i hate when people tell me a story and i'm like yeah you told me this
1: already you dickhead yeah and then when it's on a show that's that's for entertainment you know the people are like oh all right grandpa you know it's brutal
0: and then you got to be careful too because we end up going in the same lines like you know because you you have your style so i start telling a story (laughs) and then like mark's like says the same thing he said three years ago and then i respond with the same thing and i'm like
1: we're in full repeat here Three years is fine, though. That's like three years, and also I always say this: if it's a good story, then who gives a shit? And it's been three years. That's a good. That's what people
0: have said. They're like, we're happy to hear it over again, whatever. So, but anyways, now I forget my original point that I started to say. Like, oh, this is what I was gonna say: is I have this old DVD called Comedy All Stars, and it's like Mm -hmm. all those '80s got Larry Miller and Bill Maher and Paul Reiser. It's great, and they're all talking comedy, but Bill Maher has this really like touching moment where he's like the hard thing is none of us get to see each other anymore and he's like that's what Uh, i miss and that's the thing with the more success you get the less you see each other it's because bill maher
1: won't have any of them on his show that's why (laughs) i didn't get to see them (laughs) no i I feel the same way i it's crazy it's like we used to hang out all the time and uh it's just not i mean it's just not a thing anymore because we're we're all doing our own thing we're on the road it's tough Yeah, there was
0: moments at the cellar. I guess we were working the road then, but maybe not as much. But there was a bunch of time, I guess the cellar bookings changed a bit, where the show would be like you, me, Mark,
1: Phil, Hanley. And like in
0: a row, there was a couple of those shows.
1: Yeah, and then Guy Brandon wrote an article about diversity at the cellar, and it all came crashing down. (laughs) God damn it, Guy. (laughs) Uh, By the way, the way your chair is, it looks a little bit like you have a long mullet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, oh, yeah, i need i need that support i look like stephen hawking i know but i need this support from my back so yeah let, let me let,
0: let that's a, that's a topic to get into because back problems is like my biggest fear i know you continuously have back problems right mm-hmm. it's it- gotten a
1: lot better i i do crazy shit for to to work on it I, uh i i'm i'm very like i i put work into my back now i used to just be like oh it's out this is gonna be two weeks you know Right. So what is like the original injury? Cause like, you know me,
0: if I have, I burned my thumb earlier on tea, and that's going to be my next few days. <laughs> like I'm like, I, I canceled appointments and shit. <laughs> I'm like, I can't do it. I'm, I'm fucked. That's all I can think about. So a back being out, like how much mental capacity does this
1: take up in your life? I think I just accepted that it would suck. Like I, I remember I was in Springfield, Missouri, like two years ago at that room, Blue Room, and I, my back was completely out. And then I had some sort of like 24 hour bug where I just couldn't keep food down. So I was vomiting and I, I would have water and I would immediately have to run to the toilet and have diarrhea. Like, I, so I was so, I couldn't keep anything down. I was so ill. And, uh, yeah, I'm like, I can't, I go to the ER and they're like, yeah, you can't eat food for like 24 hours. And I was like curled up in a ball. I was like, this is, and then I went on, did shows. I was like hunched over a stool telling jokes. (laughs) And I was like, I can't live like this. This is embarrassing. And then I waited like another year and a half to do anything about it. So, uh, that's how honored I am. You know? Wait, so was the back injury causing you to throw up? No, was no, no, I was just, but I was like, I was that sick and I had a bad back. It was just, Jesus. it just sucked. So I remember coming back on the flight and I just was like hunched over feeling, and it's just bad for your posture and it looks horrible. So yeah, I just started working out way more and met and my back, I just, I remember seeing a physical therapist. She's like, it looks like you've never lifted a weight in your life like she's like you have no muscles in your back and i was like yeah I so it was pretty humiliating for a woman to say that to you for one thing and then and then i yeah i started to see a guy he's like i'll do cardio all the time but i just i see i exercise for the high i exercise for the you know so i feel good on the road or i feel you kill the depression at least temporarily yeah you never hear
0: about that usually men i guess men and women you work out so people will want to fuck you and then also to relieve some anxiety or whatever. But I've never heard of someone that's like, I got to work out because my back is just cotton candy shit. <laughs> and I can't support myself if I don't do well, push-ups.
1: It's, it's a lot. It's not even push-ups. It's like, it's like deadlifts and shit like that I have to do. It's oh. like... It's stuff yeah it's just i just have to strengthen it i feel so much better i'm seeing like i see a a french trainer now and he's awesome and he's he talks shit to me and he'll take me to the park and make me box him and he'll say shit like i'm gonna humiliate you in front of all these women like he's fucking hilarious oh, so that's great i might I love him just guy. for sex oh he's, he's he's a fucking hot man he is very handsome uh but yeah he's a badass he's like a track and field champion so i've been i've been working out with him and he's he's made i just feel better after uh after seeing him yeah that must so i assume that helps your like mental health as well so much so much it's crazy i i yeah i need that boost for see sure. this
0: is this is the issue i have with and it's funny because we both have like hot trainers i go to diego i go to a colombian fucking, uh, <laughs> trainer i love that we all have like sexy personal trainers Um, well you
1: should if you're a trainer that just helps business if you just look good i mean you if you if we've seen trainers who are like i'm like you're a trainer and it's kind of like how the fuck do you get clients when you have like a weird body you know well
0: fucking richard simmons that was that great george carlin joke he goes richard (laughs) simmons is proof that you can work out 18 hours a day
1: and still look like shit (laughs) well Um, dude they're pro they're nba players i'm like all you do is cardio and you have a belly like it makes no sense so yeah you gotta be you gotta be ripped if you're a trainer yeah
0: it's a good point it's hard as we get older to be in great shape, but I need, uh, I don't know if you're like this with exercise. You're better than me because I remember we were on the road one time together and we went to the gym and you like did like a full workout. I go to the gym legitimately for like eight minutes. I do curls a couple bench presses and I'm like, all right, let's go steam. Um, (laughs) But I need need to get cardio with people in a class or play it. Like if we play basketball I can get good cardio that way. Or if I run if I go for a run, I can do it but it's so hard for me to fucking motivate. That's why I go to MMA because he'll just beat the
1: shit out of me a little bit, yes. which helps. Yeah, that helps when someone's doing that. Like this guy, I'll be doing, I'll, I'll be doing deadlifts with him, and normally I would just give up, but he'll be like, "No, no," and I'm like, "All right, all right." So I, he like scares me into going. I need that. I need that motivation. It's so fucking hard for me. I'm like this with writing because you're
0: obviously such a disciplined writer but i think it's almost a compulsion with you it feels like i have to it takes so much for me to start writing and basically i need you to either be bouncing bits or i i catch your act and i'm like all right
1: fuck i gotta try to somewhat keep up i just like for me i'm i just get anxiety if i'm not if i don't have new material i just always i I, i'll try to do enough sets where i hate the new jokes where i'm like i gotta get new jokes i hate the new stuff too now it's funny i'm like i'm sick of them
0: that's what I kept saying during pandemic when we weren't doing stuff Cause I didn't, I barely wrote at all during pandemic. I tried to write other stuff and wrote a movie and shit, but that will never be anything. But, um, I did, I only write bits because I'm tired of the other bits. That's why being on the road for me makes me prolific. Like I'm not prolific because I feel like I got to put out a new hour. It's just because I'm like, I cannot tell this goddamn
1: joke again. I got to replace it with something. Yeah. I hear myself tell a joke and I'm just like, if I, if I feel sick of it, that's like time when I'm just like, I don't want it to, it's weird. It, a lot of it's like whatever you feel comfortable telling in the city. Cause on the road, you kind of have to do all the new stuff because it's just, it's the new stuff. You got to do it. But in the city, I'm doing 15 minutes. I'm like, you can at least mix and match a little bit. You can have a little more fun with it. And, and if I'm sick of the joke, I can, I can drop it in a 15 minute set. Yeah. there. Well, there's
0: nothing worse to me than having being on the road. I don't want to get too inside baseball here, but being on the road and doing like, six headlining shows and then you come home and do like a cellar spot on sunday and you're like i absolutely cannot do all the shit i was just doing
1: at this goddamn cellar spot okay oh because you mean the, the road was hot and the yeah. cellar it's just yeah. not it's not as strong as you thought well you're just tired of doing it i'm just fucking yeah. exhausted
0: from that shit and i'm like i already worked it out there so where, where are you on like like nate bargazzi and tim Dillon? a lot of these guys are like you don't need as many
1: sets you can take time off but again it feels like a compulsion for you yeah if i take nights off it's it's a big deal for me i don't i don't like taking nights off and like that's cool those guys feel that way i mean they're they're probably on the road a ton so they're they're working stuff out and maybe they just see the value in working out for their fans more but uh i'm on the road a lot but i like working out for people that don't necessarily know who i am or you know, that way you really have to make the joke. Something about bombing a joke. I was kind of bombing the other night at New York Comedy Club. And because I was bombing, I found a couple more punchlines because I had to. Because I was right. like, I just need to riff a better tag because this won't hit. Absolutely. And, uh, so I, I, it's not like I want to bomb, but I, I see the value in bad crowds still. Right, right. So I'm so interested in this because you're
0: such a fascinating guy to me um, because you... I mean, Gary Veter and I talk about this all the time. You just ruin our mental health
1: because yes. you're
0: like, I got it. Like, you're like, what do you got? Here's my new bits. You're like, what do you got? And I'm like, I have nothing. I don't have anything. Fuck. And you it, just it go up
1: there and the jokes work though. I feel like I have to, my batting average is shit. So I feel like I have to constantly be putting stuff out. Well, that's what I
0: have to remind myself for my own mental health is that when I, I have it turned off a lot because I'm just doing other shit or whatever. And then when I turn it on, I can usually crank out some material. That thing of like, I gotta come up with some material. I can usually get something, and I have a high batting average. You, I feel like, are just writing jokes all day, every day, and whatever. Twenty percent of them are the best jokes that anyone has. I won't I even
1: say twenty percent, but I, 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 yeah, I just try to get into a routine of it because I just, I think I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not gonna be one of the best comics, so let me just write. Let me write as much as I possibly can. I think I heard Leno say that once. where he's like, I need to write all day because I just, I need to outwork everybody. Okay. So this is what I want to get to. And this is what's interesting to me. And it can be
0: um, relevant for people that aren't in comedy. What do you think it is that makes
1: you that way? So driven? Is it? pain is my family it's my family for sure i mean like my brother and sister (laughs) okay well my brother and sister my dad never stopped working ever like he never stopped working and my mom is you know i like my mom is very creative my mom's an artist so you know we we work you know like i think she always encouraged creativity i don't think she wanted me to be a stand-up i think that freaked freaked her out for sure but uh you know, I think because I think there was a period where I just was a stand up for the free drinks. I was like, I get free drinks at work. And she was just like, oh, she just see me drunk on stage. Like This is terrible. And uh, my dad's a, a workaholic. So we're a blended family. So he's, you know, he's my stepdad. Uh, and then uh, my brother and sister who are older than me are step siblings were just like fucking geniuses. So it was it was insane. So I, I just felt like the black sheep. I was the black sheep. So I think there was that need to. I, when I was a kid, my need to stand out was to be the biggest fuck up. Cause I was like, well, I'm not going to get better grades than them. They're both honor students. They're both, you know, they're both Ivy league lawyers. So, uh, I had no chance of standing out in an academic sense, but I was like, I'll, I'll stand out by getting drunker than everyone. I'll stand out by being the bad kid, by always being in detention, by always being in trouble. So, at, you know, at a certain point that shifted, I think I just had a low self-esteem, but at a certain point that shifted and, uh, I think I just started doing, com- I love comedy so much that once you start doing well on stage, it kind of changes your perception of yourself. And uh, I was like, oh, I first off, I think we're in the same sense, we're in the same boat. We got into this, like people thought we were funny. And then I got into this and I was like, fuck, I have to work really hard at this. I thought I could just kind of bullshit my way through this, but I'd see comics that I looked up to and I'd see their discipline and how hard they worked. I mean, like David Tell was a guy I look up to, and then David Tell, I'd see how, how much he would write, and I'd be like, "This is insane." So uh, you get into this kind of because you're a fuck up, and then you end up having to treat it like a real job. And I think that was something that kind of pushed me is like, "I really, well, this is my only. I I won't survive in this if I don't work hard." Yeah, this is a job that's that's we're lucky exists. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Right. I was doing, I was doing a pedophile joke on stage yesterday and it didn't kill. And I got annoyed that they didn't laugh hard. I'm like, what a silly job. This is. Yeah.
0: It's insane. Well, I mean, I guess you're lucky to realize that earlier. I mean, it took me 10 years and I, I've, I tell this all the time. Like I had to, I fucked up so bad. I had to find a new group of peers. <laughs> like I started like you and Mark started significantly after me, uh, yeah. because I just fucked around for so long. But when I started in Boston, i had this like phenom thing because i was 18 i was like just out of high school and i was pretty good i was like a naturally funny guy and so everyone was like you're gonna be big everyone kept telling me that They're like you're gonna be something i kept going great all right and so i just kept boozing and not writing that much and i did the thing that all those boston guys did but i got like 25 minutes and the other thing that those guys in boston did who i all i love all them But everybody was, and my family's like this too, everybody would kind of cut you down. It was a lot of like, nah, that's bullshit. That guy claims he has 45, he doesn't have 45 minutes. It took me 10 years to have 45 minutes. And so I got that in my head of like, shit, I must not have any time. And so I kept lowering myself and of course, low self-esteem and all that. And it wasn't until, I've told this story before too, I was working with DiPaolo, I started opening for him and he was just so naturally funny. And yeah. a good comic, it, you can't tell that they do a ton of work. It's like that duck analogy that looks like they're just floating across the water, but underneath they're, they're pedaling really hard. We were sharing a condo because the, there was some big event in town. And so we were sharing the condo, which Nick was very upset about. But I remember sitting wow. there and watching. I mean, he was like, he's like where we are now. It's like if we had to share a comedy condo with the feature. <laughs> um, but I was watching like some bullshit on TV and I looked in his bedroom because the door was open and he was like in his underwear and he had like two notebooks out and he was listening to his set and he was like transcribing shit and i had like an epiphany of like oh that's what's going on here that's why he's a hundred times funny than me he's doing shit during the day he's working on this thing and it was like an epiphany because and i had that with mark too mark and i went on the road he was emceeing and I was
1: featuring the Rosa right? Rosa. Yeah, I remember and, this. I remember when you guys were telling me you were going out to work with DeRosa Rosa on the road. And I was like, oh, wow, cool. Yeah,
0: it was fun. We all had the same manager, but Mark was the MC, if you can believe it. And he was like, uh, um, he's like, I noticed, he's like, ah, I don't want to be weird. Ah, but, uh, I noticed you don't have a right. When do you write? And I remember being like, who is this piece of shit pimple? I'm like, I write, you fuck. But he was like, no, no, I'm not trying to be an asshole. He's like, I just haven't seen you with a pen or open a notebook at all. That's the most
1: confrontational Mark has ever been in his life. That's hilarious. Yeah,
0: well, I think it was just like that curiosity, but it was. No, he was. I mean, he's being
1: supportive, though. In a weird way, that's him being supportive because he's being he's he loved you early on. So it's like, hey, you're a great comic. Why aren't you writing? And that's kind of what he's saying, right?
0: Yeah. Well, I think he was just curious of like, like I have this, like to use an analogy, I bite my nails, but I bite them in the shower. So everyone always says, I've never seen you bite your nails ever, but your nails are all gnarled. I think he was like, when are you doing this? I don't, I'm confused. (laughs) And um, it was hard because I was like, fuck, like it was like someone calling me out accidentally, I guess. But I was like, yeah,
1: I don't, I don't write. Um, damn yeah it's weird so many of those boston comics like that seemed like such a scary scene to me like they, they, they it was kind of like they're drinkers they're kind of tough I mean, they felt like the peaky blinders or some shit there was like some <laughs> there was like some intensity where you're like jesus these guys are hardcore yeah absolutely and there's still
0: a lot of there's a few comics that do write and a lot that just don't but That's the thing is like I started hanging out with you guys and I'm like, all right, I can't be blown past by like another group of people. I got to (laughs) try to keep pace. And so a lot of it's just trying to keep pace. But I mean, I'm always like blown away by your
1: um, ethic because there's no workaholics in my family, I don't think. Well, my my dad was such a workaholic and I was kind of like, I think it was weird. It was like, a, you talk about you having a second chapter kind of this, this was like almost like my second chapter but with my family, I think were at first I think they were just, they were just, it's I'm my mom's only biological son. So I think there was this thing where she was like, Oh, she worries so much. I've never met someone who worries more than my mom. Like to the point I go on the road. She's like, are you being careful? And I'm like, no, I got unvaccinated mom. I got unvaccinated. (laughs) They do that at Walgreens. Now you get unvaccinated (laughs) and uh, she's so worried about me. And when I was a kid, I think she would just, I would make jokes about being a fuck up and it upset her so much. I could just see how sad she was that I viewed myself that way. But I wasn't even trying to like, it wasn't like me trying to get pity. It was me trying to be funny. I thought it was, you know, but there's a difference between being self-deprecating and it being like too real. Like one of my, one of my really close friends from growing up is like, he'll just, he's a degenerate gambler, he's a chess genius, you know, he was ranked like number two in the country in chess, he's that much of a genius in chess. Wow. But he had this fucked up childhood, his mom was a hoarder, they were like always nearly getting evicted because of her courting. And he was so fucked up and, and it, he got really fucked up and now he's like the type of guy He's still a friend but he's like a type of kid I'll do a casino and he's just there like I'll show up at the casino and I'm like Adam and he's like yeah you're at a casino so I thought I'd come I looked at your website and I'm like Jesus Christ all right and he'll like call me he's like I woke up next to a crack pipe the other day and I'm like what and he's like you yeah, know what I'm being self deprecating I'm like that's not self deprecating I'm worried about you know what I mean like that's that's fucked up so that's I would kind of make like that was like my humor I wasn't making sense where I think my mom was just like you see yourself in this way that upsets me and it took me years to shake that and you're talking about discipline on the road with the i mean i I got that from mattel a lot because we'd be on the road and he would he would be watching my set he'd be like make sure you do new stuff tonight (laughs) you know like make sure because i think i wanted to impress him so i'd want to make sure i was doing well in front of him but he'd be like i don't care like if you do well just do new jokes make sure you keep writing and like that that was like oh okay like he thinks i'm funny so i can now like experiment a little bit right that's so I think you want that it's almost like a a parent relationship where you just want them to think you're good but then also you don't want that to interfere with you know like a tell would say like the once you stop caring you're good you know like and I cared too much I cared about that and it's almost like once I stopped caring about my family's approval as much because I knew I had it I got better at like life and comedy. But once I felt like I had Dave's approval on the road, I was like, "Oh, I can like be the comic I I am a little more than just going up and trying to kill." And then right. you almost just do better because you're you care less. You're less married to the material. You have a little like you watch Dave, he's so free up there. He's not he has the best jokes, but he's not he's not just trying to get to the jokes. He's trying to just do everything.
0: Yeah, it's amazing though how long it takes to get um, that confidence because I always had the thing of like uh, that we've all dealt with. of like, I'm never going to come up with anything funny again. I'm, I'm cashed out of stuff. And Alan, our therapist helped me with that. Cause he's like, well, you've continued to come up with material this whole time. Yeah. So you just, you just will come up with it. But, it's scary it's such a scary business but that was that a fluke way. that's
1: what i always think i'm like that was a fluke that time you know like I, I'm, I'm in the same boat like coming up with new jokes to me it's like that blank canvas it's funny you have a blank notepad it's filled with so much potential but you have a blank hour you're like fucking kill me i it's- this is brutal
0: well, that's why I have to get a head start. Like, I, I won't shoot something or record something until I have a surplus, because I'm like, I got to start with something else. But I, 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 then I get that anxiety. I go the opposite way. that I'm like, I get the anxiety. I'm going to have too much stuff. I'm like, now I have too much material. I'm going to lose stuff and forget it, which happens also. Um, but I want to go back to your family. So your siblings are from your stepdad. That's not yeah. your mom's Okay. So yeah. I wonder if, are you the only child your mother had yeah biologically okay because mm-hmm. i wonder if she there was part of her too that was like oh my feeling
1: this guilt for your stepdad or whatever his behavior was do you mean guilt like what i was bringing or you think what, guilt for him you mean like the idea
0: of you being like i'm a fuck up this thing and then her being like oh my god i you know i was with this other guy and this is his fault and it's my fault for being with this guy like if that if she had that
1: feeling I think on some level, yeah, I think when I met my biological father, it was very hard for her. I think, you know, he left a note in a safety deposit box for me. And I think she, you know, she was like, I'm going to give it to you when you're 18. But I, you know, I asked questions about him a little before that. And then uh, we just never talked about stuff. Like I joked that we're like a waspy Jewish family. We're like, it's like we were Jews, but we just didn't talk about shit. So it's kind of like, unless I brought it up, it wasn't going to be talked about. So what year,
0: give me the timeline, if you're all right talking about it. Sure, The, yeah. the timeline of when your biological father leaves, when your stepdad comes in, I never and when met you him. find I out. never
1: met him until I was like 19, so I didn't, he just left when she okay. was pregnant, and she wanted to keep me, and, uh, you know, so... Uh, he, I never met him until I was like I was dating a girl in college who was uh, who both her parents were psychiatrists. So it was we'd be at the dinner table and they'd be like, you've never met they would just be judging the shit out of me. You've never met him. I'd be arguing with her and she'd be like, who are you really yelling at? And I'd be like, Jesus Christ, uh, you. Uh, but <laughs> uh, so but it got to the point where they kind of pushed me so much. I also saw a therapist, uh in New Orleans when I was at Tulane I saw a therapist named Dr. Drell who was very helpful my parents sent me to him yeah he, he's on it, death row records I believe <laughs> <laughs> I got my prescription from snoop and uh <laughs> no he no he, I went to and it was like at the ninth ward and it was when it was all flooded so it looked like I was seeing a therapist in fucking like Shutter Island it looked ridiculous <clears throat> but uh he was great he fucked with me a little bit he I mean he would he was like he was like Roasty as a therapist, which was not great for me at the time, because I think I was dealing with a lot. And I remember he would, <laughs> I'd be like, Oh, yeah, so it was just me and my mom. And he'd be like, you and mommy against the world. And I'd be like, what's your problem? Oh, God. <laughs> so, but for all that, he did help me, uh, you know, figure out a lot. So, uh he did He did help me, for sure. I remember I sent my friend to him because my friend was, you know, very depressed. Still a very depressed guy. He's a good friend of mine. I remember I was like, oh, you should see this guy. And, and he saw him. And he was like, that guy's an asshole. It's hilarious.
0: <laughs> oh, so, uh, yeah. He was a so character. What age were you when you realized your stepdad wasn't your biological dad? Was that early? Or did they
1: address that? I was so young when they met. They probably went on their first date when I was like three or four. And then... um, I remember when they got married, I was, it was before they got married. They were, so my last name was Greenberg. I'm Sam Greenberg. And, uh, then, uh, I remember being with my dad and he was like teaching me to spell, I was like five and he was like, this is how you spell Morel. This will be your last name now. So I I remember that was like, when I kind of put it together, I was so young. I was just like, Oh, who's this guy? I like this guy, but who is he? And then, um, and then they got married and I was like six or seven. And, um, yeah, I kind of put it together, but I was too young to, I was just like, oh, I love this guy, he's, he's a good dad to me. So it wasn't like, um, it was new. And there was definitely, when you're, when you're a blended family, there are issues. So I think it's part of why I became the type of comic I was because when you don't talk about stuff in a family and there's kind of these moments of discomfort you feel this need to say what's not being said in a room so I think that's why I tell at least early on why I started to tell jokes that would just like potentially upset people right uh so yeah I think there's there was this discomfort with my step siblings and like my mom who represented stability for me for them represented I think you know the opposite they had they had their own mother so so there was difficult and they were not particularly warm to her and it's understandable i mean they they were they would in some ways you look at it like oh i got the i got the you know i got the lucky situation here i have i have a new dad i didn't have a dad of a dad i have my mom still i mean in some ways i had the you know the best of both worlds but it was still uncomfortable and i you know i'd see them not like her and we, did, we never talked about anything it, it was just weird and how much <laughs> you know? older are they than you they're my brother's five years and my sister's seven years
0: yeah so those are that's like not a big difference as an adult but as a child that's insane yeah a a five-year-old and a 12-year-old is such a a huge difference
1: yeah it was it was different and and there was a lot I just didn't understand I just didn't understand a lot about uh what they were going through at the time right
0: and so you guys were all in one house I assume because they must have been yeah 12 or
1: whatever 10 yeah uh, do they get along with your mother now? Yeah, they do. And my sister has kids and I think that helps and uh, they do get along with her better now for sure. But it's, it's but I have to remember, she's my mom. She's technically not their mom. So you have to remember that. Right. Sometimes when, when I'm like, oh, why didn't they do that? And I'm like, it's oh, not her mom. their mom technically, you know?
0: yeah that's such a fascinating thing i find it always so incredibly like touching and moving though when somebody's such a good stepdad for like for i love this my dad to, my like, dad's a great guy yeah i mean that's like amazing and it is lucky because i mean first of all there's so many horror stories of stepdad. i mean i just think of like the movies and like the alcohol i'm thinking of like boyhood and stuff and just like <laughs> multiple alcoholic dads coming in and being a piece of shit i mean that's really amazing and just like what a good guy because it's hard to love somebody else's kid or it can be
1: hard anyways, you know? Yeah. He's, I think it takes for for him to get what I do. It took a while. Like I remember, he'd be more impressed by the weirdest shit. Like my name would be mentioned in New York times article. And he'd be like, you were in the times. I'm like, yeah, they said I was unfunny. You know, it'd be something where I'm like, (laughs) "So like comedian Sam Morel had a rough set or something. And he'd be like the times. And I'd be like, dad, I've been on like Conan and shit, but he, uh, yeah, it took him a while, but then I remember like the night where I think he really was like, Oh, wow, this is for real is that we were uh, at the Best Buy theater and now it's maybe called like the PlayStation theater. It's in Times Square, but I did two shows with Jim Jeffries and they were like 2000 people a show and they came in the crowd of, and this is when Jim was working out that gun bit, which is one of the best bits of all time, I think, right, and, I uh, and they saw me open for him and I had a really good set. And my parents were like, this guy thinks Sam is funny. I think that was like a moment where they're like, oh, wow. That, they were." It's funny to see them because Jim is so not their type of comic, but they were both like, he was great, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, it's so interesting. And and your mother's an artist. What kind of artist is she? Abstract uh, paintings. And she's great. I'll send you her stuff. She's really amazing. Wow. That's
0: exciting and just cool. I mean, artist. I'm like, so jealous of your life because of course i'm like i'm subtracting all the pain you went through but i'm like wow uh, like
1: a really supportive dad and an artist mother that's so cool oh i i love uh yeah i love i have a great relationship with my mom she's very uh she understands stand-up in a way that's so cool like i can i bounce bits off my mom all the time
0: yeah that's amazing to me you've told me that before now I, i'm interested in how like because obviously she's a very anxious person so it sounds anxious. like a, a, yeah. a, a worrying jewish mom but it feels like it doesn't manifest obviously you have plenty of psychosis but you don't seem like a, a like a hypochondriac worrier to me how did it
1: manifest or are you maybe well i worry i mean look i don't have any fingernails either you know i worry <laughs> I, have anx- I have anxiety but i also i think she worried so much that it made me worry less you know because I was like if I matched her energy in anxiety I'd be going nuts I have a I get anxiety and I worry but I also I try to stay busy enough that I don't worry that much that's really my key is like if I'm really busy then I think I'll I'll think about that's the same with depression like I I get depressed but then I'm like let me let me stay so busy that I can't think about all the bad things that could potentially happen. I mean, for me, that's, of course I, yeah, I get worried, but also my mom would work. Like my mom saw me the other day we had dinner. She goes, your teeth are discolored. Like one of your teeth is, and I was just like, Oh, and my dad actually, my dad goes, she's actually right this time. Like that's how much my mom worries. He had to like, he had to preface it with, she knows your teeth are discolored. So I was like, all right. So she's sending me dentists. She keeps sending me dentists. That's how my mom is. She's like, you should do, I remember I, my ADD was so bad as a kid. She would, I'd walk in, there'd be like a pile of ADD books on my bed.
0: And I'd be like,
1: I have to now organize my ADD. So, and they never went anywhere because I fucking ADD. They're just laying there. So they'd just be like on the floor next to my bed. But I never read these books. They sent me to a seven hour ADD seminar. It was horrible.
0: Oh, that sounds awful. That's Definitely. like my old joke
1: about seven Sudoku.
0: Hours. Yes. Um, that's insane. So first of all, I have the best dentist and he's in your neighborhood, Dr. Ganjin, who I thanked in my special and he's right down oh, the maybe, from you.
1: Maybe I can see him.
0: He ain't, he ain't cheap, but it's Upper West right. Side, you know, these they're your people. <laughs> that's, a, that's on you. But, okay, so I want to talk about a, a few things, because you seem, I know you get depressed, you always yeah. seem more obsessive to me than anxious, and I know there's inter those are intertwined, obviously, because I have OCD and anxiety, but the way you are with women and the way you are with material i mean i've like you feel such a like an obsessive person well you say that you make
1: me sound like a guy who shows up to a strip club with flowers saying obsessive with women. yeah yeah <laughs> sorry no i don't
0: mean it like that but like just like is this text what do you how do i respond to this text what do you think oh, this yeah, means yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff i don't want to make it sound like you're a fucking predator um yeah but no it's just- more
1: like i just want to
0: say the right thing and and exactly handle things the right way yeah of course yeah yeah i don't want to say it wrong Uh, and i was the same way in relationship i mean now i'm in an extremely healthy relationship but i was always like that that feeling i always relate to that feeling of like she said this and we got in a fight about this should i have said that what if i say this how do i handle that and so is that something you've ever have you ever taken medicine for anxiety or obsessive behavior or depression any of that stuff
1: no, the only medication I've ever taken is for ADD. And I really have a hard time focusing. Yeah, I've noticed.
0: Uh, <laughs> but you're doing great right now. What, what are you, Whatever you're taking now is working.
1: I just have a few coffees. But uh, no, I, occasionally I'll take like a, a sort of like Adderall type, not Adderall, but a sort of Adderall type medication. And I'll just kind of, uh, I don't take it often. I take it very rarely. I don't want to be hooked on it. Right. That's good. Yeah, you got to be mindful
0: of that. Yeah. Um, I forget what I was going to say about, I started writing out a bunch of stuff that I was like interested in. And now I, it's all just chicken scratch. Um, but so what was school life? Were you a good student? Because I know you had no.
1: to deal with um, Ivy League siblings. No, I wasn't uh, until I became in 11th grade. I was like all A's. I, it, it just switched. It was funny. I just like, I, I got off on being the class clown. I was such a bad kid in school. And uh, I was such a bad student that, I was like, I'm going to really whatever I want it to be. I want it to be like, you know, that on steroids, I want it to be the most hardcore version of it. So if I was bad, I was like, I'm gonna be bad, but I'm gonna be like the funny guy in class. So I, I would get huge laughs in class, but I was always getting kicked out, you know. And uh, then it got to a point where like, I think 11th grade, I started to get good grades. I started to like not really feel that way anymore about myself. So I would still make jokes all the time in class, but the teachers would laugh like I would be they'd be just better jokes. You know, I went from like lifting my legs up and farting to like riffing (laughs) on like the curriculum. And and I was like, Oh, I'm like, now everyone's laughing. It just felt better. So uh, yeah, 11th, 12th grade, I was like honor student. But before that I was, I just didn't try. I was just always getting fucked up. I feel like I'm the reverse of that in my career. I used to have like
0: really intellectual (laughs) jokes and now I'm just farting into the mic. (laughs) I got nothing but dick and shit jokes right now, which I'm embarrassed by. But um. So no, I was jokes,
1: oldest jokes in comedy, though, for a reason.
0: Yeah, exactly. They're they're great. And I just ripped it at the Paramount Theater last night with my dick. But no, I was similar. Like I was a bad student. I just didn't give a fuck and I didn't have the discipline. It wasn't interesting to me because I wanted to be a comedian since I was a kid. And so college, I wasn't interested in college and I would just kind of get by. But my for me, it was my sophomore year is people started to act like I was an idiot (laughs) <laughs> and this is a big part of me. And I don't know how much you have. And I think this maybe where we're different. I, I want to talk about this earlier. I do my best work when I get like motivated by something. I'm like an athlete. Like I feel like Jordan. I need something to spark me. Like I had an incident again with Mark where we were doing gigs with a guy who I, I won't name, but a friend and a great comic in Philadelphia. And Mark did this shitty thing. He's, he's getting better as a person, but Mark did this thing where he told me what someone else said about me, which I always feel like I'm like, you're actually shittier than that person.
1: For sure. Yeah, I don't um, like that.
0: But I'm grateful for it because he, but what Mark said to me, he's like, yeah, this guy, he was talking shit. He was saying like, yeah, you're just like a party alcoholic comic and you're never going to be much because you're just a drunk idiot or whatever. that's I'm surmising it <laughs> summarizing. And it was so hurtful. But it was this moment of like, I got to fucking get my shit together. And it played a role in like my sobriety and turning my career around. Wow. Because it was just somebody else that I respected being
1: like, yeah, he's like a joke. He's a fucking, he's a goofball. I never viewed you that way. I definitely thought that you, you know, there was a period where you weren't disciplined enough, but I definitely, I was always, I always thought you were a great comic. I always thought you were someone who I looked up to and who whose work I always admired. Cause you were such a, you know you were so effortlessly funny i remember we did a gig that awful casino run we did but you i remember you just went up the night of like after a horrible travel day and you're riffing on the city and murdering. i'm like that's a that's a comedian to me so uh yeah i was never i i yeah i was never worried about you i just knew that you had more and and now you are that guy i mean i knew that you i knew it was holding you back but i never was i guess I should maybe I should have been more worried, right? No,
0: I mean, well, I feel like we weren't that close back then. Yeah. Um, but that by the way, that gig we did was like a bottom, like a rock. I broke down, f- wow, f- sobbing when we were on that gig together, right? Um, that was that was that was a tough week, <laughs> and um, but we made it through. I never thought we would be that close of friends during that you week. Did gig, that, I was you like, did that, you did that, I see.
1: I was driving you nuts. Yeah, you were. I remember we were. I remember you did that thing where you called my hotel room. You're like, "Do you have a like a hot tub in your room?" And I was like, "Ha very funny." Like that's like the road comedian joke because I was in some tiny room. And then I went up to your room, and it was you were actually in like the presidential suite.
0: Yeah, they fucked up somehow. I had this massive thing, <laughs> um, but no. And by the way, it was my fault. I mean, you were driving me crazy. But that's because I was a fucking drunk, bitter, drunk asshole. Um, I mean, some of it was you also, but. Um, mostly it was me being a drunk asshole, but I've had that before too. Oh, so that's what I was going to go to in high school. I was similar to you. I was goofing around and a goof and sort of a class clownish guy. And then people started to kind of treat me like an idiot. And I failed off the track team and, and people thought I was like a moron. And I remember talking to my friend Brendan and I was like, no, I could make the honor roll. Like I'm a smart guy. I'm just not doing it. And he started laughing and he's like, no, you couldn't. And I got like mad and serious, and I was like, "All right, watch, watch this." And we had like it was called block scheduling, so you only had four classes per semester. And I got two A's and two B's. Like I, I, I got like. I was like at the top of the class. I was like, there you go. Here you go. And I went back to doing C's and D's after. But it just felt like, no,
1: I can do that. <laughs> out, sp- out of spite, you made the honor roll. That's exactly. Hilarious.
0: I mean, legitimately. Yeah. And I was like, there you go, everybody. Because I was just like, this is not that hard. I just don't give a fuck. I hated homework and I hated school. I liked learning. I just didn't want to do the shit. So yeah. sometimes I still feel that way now. I have to overhear somebody say something or some kind of quip. And there's plenty of those to go around, obviously, in comedy where you just take it as like motivation. And it does feel like that's sort of not to compare myself to Jordan in level of skill, but level of motivation is how I feel. How much of that do
1: you have, if any? I I wouldn't say I have that. I think, you know, if I see you or Mark or or Mackie or any of our friends on stage and your new shit is killer, you know, anyone, you know, I'm kind of like, oh, wow, I have to my foot on the gas not even a competitive way just like oh i gotta wake up and i gotta i gotta write more so it's more like i feel lucky to have friends who work really hard because that that pushes me for sure
0: yeah that's how i feel with us too especially as you get older and mature and i spend way more time on mental health stuff with meditation and sobriety and all this stuff and you just get older and you mature there's i have almost no bitterness i want to say and not much competition but it's it's like that friendly thing of like all right i gotta i gotta keep pace i gotta at least have good material and it's maybe not as much as far as selling tickets or making money but i'm like as far as what goes on on stage i gotta try to at least be in the same
1: realm as these guys yeah i'm sure like on some level it started in an unhealthy way i mean you use the word obsessive i think un- obsessive is is unhealthy to be obsessed is considered sure. a bad thing, but I do feel like you have to be somewhat obsessed to be good at this, and you know? So I think early on it was like, I need to stand out with my siblings. Like it's always on some level, like I don't want to be the black sheep. Like that's, that's, and then I also had this side of my biological father's family and he had a son he raised. So I think I, in a lot of ways, I was always felt like passed over, Right. you know? So I think I picked the right business uh, where you feel rejected constantly. Uh, but, um, yeah I, I think a lot of it started from a really unhealthy place and, and therapy's definitely helped that yeah no let's talk about Alan because everybody fans of this show
0: are familiar with Alan how did you find Alan how did that work because then you led me to Alan
1: which I'm still grateful for oh wow I didn't know I did that I, uh, uh, it's been so long I guess but uh, uh, Gary Goldman and, and Rachel Feinstein um and what was there were
0: you hitting some kind of bottom yeah. or
1: you were just what was going on rachel told me you're a depressed alcoholic and uh she's like you're always hung over you're always depressed uh you're unhealthy in relationships you're uh you pick toxic situations it became that thing i remember alan i mean i talked i was like i t- asked him the other day i'm like why am i so fucked up and he and he just said uh you should have seen when you first came here you know, right. you should have seen, uh, how you were. And I I've left a bunch throughout the years because sometimes it gets overwhelming. Sometimes, you know, working on yourself can, can exhaust you and you're like, I don't have time. I regress after breakups. I, I go backward. And, uh, Alan would, he would say shit. I, I would quit therapy. I'd be like, I'm done with this. I'm just going to drink again. I'm going to be bad. And, and I, uh, it's like, it's like a little, whatever you call it, the Amish, what do they call their spring break? Uh, i have no idea fuck i forgot what it's called rumspringer i have my little rumspringer where i just fuck up and become bad but he he i he really will look at me like i'm an athlete in my prime retiring early when i quit therapy he's like no you have a lot left you really should not be leaving and i went back recently it's been it's been huge yeah no he's the best i've
0: I, yeah you guys every once in a while I'll be like ah, i took a break from alan and i'm like no way i'm like uh I got to see him. I I go every other week now. And a lot of the times now I just feel really healthy, but I still just like talking. It's almost like we're just friends now. I just like checking in and and I I I do most of the talking. I mean, he's had a bigger, uh, he's the most important person in my life. Like uh, as far as my mental health, um, like obviously my, if if it was between him and my wife, I'd take my wife because she lets me have sex with her but that's the only reason i mean as far as like improving my mental health i mean there's nobody that's been more significant but no i i was bottoming out in sobriety and i i called, i was at the tampa side splitters and the condo and called you and that's uh, a rough condo you his number yeah it was rough i mean it was horrible but um Anyways, you mentioned, do you think you're an alcoholic? I mean, Rachel right no, calls you an don't. alcoholic. I'm like, no, I feel no. like, I
1: don't perceive you as an alcoholic. No, I think I just drank. I think I was a binge drinker. I think there's a difference. I don't think I would, like, wake up and drink, but I think I would just get fucked up all the time, and I would just, I would just always be hungover. And when you're always hungover, like, dude, it's a depressant. You're going to be depressed all the time. So yes. uh, I already have a hard time showing emotion I have a hard time feeling good I have a hard time like I I don't that's another thing Alan always tells me he's like you don't let good feelings in he's like you just don't like it's funny I had a girl say she you know wanted to move here for me and it was like a big deal she's like I want to move to New York and he's like and how did you react and I said I said oh cool and he's like how do you react when the Knicks win and I was like wow I'm a fuck up I'm a real fuck up. <laughs> right. That's right. terrible. You know, so uh, he really, he's dead on. I mean, I, I, and I also like, I think one of the hard things with stand up is it's not like other, a lot of entertainment, you can catch a break early on. Stand up that really doesn't, I mean, it happens to a couple people, but like, man, it really, it's, it seems common for comics to break like 20 years in. And so a lot of times when we get stuff, we're not like, yay, we're like, yeah, it's about fucking time. Right. So, So that's another reason, like, he's like, this is a good thing in your career. And I'm like, yeah, but I've put the work in and I've like, like, there's never a moment where like, you were talking about Michael Jordan earlier. And it's like, he's that moment where he's like, yes. And he's like holding the championship. I feel like I'll never have a moment like that. I've always felt that
0: way. There is no like mountaintop with comedy because you're, you're always worrying about it. And there's no definitive I won even when you shoot a special you're like I think that was good that didn't hit great (laughs) you know what I mean with a with a championship in basketball you could be like I shot eight for 35 from the field but we fucking won baby exactly we got the win and uh with comedy it's not I used to think like in movies you could at least win an Oscar in the (laughs) movies or whatever but I mean it's all all perspective I guess but No, I've had the same thing with Alan where I booked The Tonight Show a few years ago and it wasn't my first late night. I had done a bunch of stuff, but that was a great set. Oh, thanks, buddy. Um, But I called him and it was like, yeah, you know, I don't know if I should invite my parents because they'll feel pressure to come down. But then do I want them there? Because then I'll feel pressure to whatever. And then who do I invite with comics? It's sensitive because some people are jealous and some people not. And do I want this guy? And he just stopped and went, where is the joy? Is there any amount of joy? Like there wasn't one moment where I was like, I fuck. Yeah, I did it. And that's another thing with comedy is, you know, I love the term um, hedonistic adaptation, which is a thing I think about all the time is you just adjust where Mm -hmm. now doing a late night, you get the call to do a late night and you're like, great. You put it in your calendar. Okay. I got this set. Let me go work the set. And you don't have that moment of like, what the fuck I'm going on Conan, baby. Like we we lose that because we've just adapted to it. And it is a thing where it's it is a series of problems is a way to look at it because you're like, all right, I gotta get a suit, what am I gonna wear? What if I bomb? Is that joke gonna hit? And it's really difficult and it really does become an effort. You have to be make a conscious
1: effort to find the joy and relate to the joy and connect with it. It's really hard to find the joy and uh, I really don't let good feelings in like I've so many people have told me that they're like, we don't see you like really excited. like you never really get excited. And I was like, yeah, I guess I don't, you know, um, it, a lot of it's just childhood, man. It's like childhood stuff. Like I was a loud kid. My mom's like, we're like loud talking like Jews. We just kind of <laughs> like, we just chat. We were like, and my am I brother and sister were very quiet kids? Like to the point, it almost like prepared me for morning radio, having a brother and sister who were so quiet because they gave a lot of one word answers, which I never gave. They'd be, I'd be like, how was your day? It was good. That was it. So I'd have to like over talk, you know? Right. So uh, there were nights at the table. I'm like, well, wow, there's kind of like a tough crowd. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. But, you it's know. interesting. My, my family's similar. I mean, my dad gives nothing. Uh, so, but I, but for me, my thing with childhood is that came from, all right, nobody really wants to hear what I have to say. So, or, or nobody there anyway. So I would go and seek out other people that would listen to me. Hence an audience. I think it's because you're like, nobody's responding to anything I'm saying or doing here. Let me go find somebody. I don't know if you relate to that at all with that. Yeah, absolutely. I
1: think, um, yeah, I mean, I, I was comic strip, like, you know, was huge for me. I mean, I have a lot of good and bad stories about that club on the Upper East Side, but, you know, uh, I mean, I met Joe Mackey there. We became, we became really close instantly and, uh, it's fun when you just meet someone who just immediately you're like, fuck, this is what comedy should be. Cause you're, it's funny. Your first group, you're like, this will be the group. We'll be the group. And then like, you never see 99% of those people ever again. But well, Joe, I did see again a lot.
0: That's where I feel so grateful for you guys, for you and Mark and uh, Phil and um and, and, and Mackie and not a not a diverse group but um (laughs) in in skin tone or style yeah but but and 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 soder and vecchio and all those guys but anyways but um boy we really need a black friend uh this is bad news (laughs)
1: Um,
0: but but no i mean that's uh, i forget what i was gonna say fuck oh that i had that when i started in boston i would i made this group of friends and i was like we're gonna all fucking support each other we're all gonna do these things and I'm still close friends with all those guys and I consider them like family, but they ended up staying there. They didn't have the common goals or, or the ability to move, whatever it was. And so now having you guys where it's like, I'm working on this, he's doing this. It's so uh, exciting and like a dream come true to have a group of friends that are all pursuing it like hardcore. And the the greatest accomplishment in my life is getting to a point where I can really enjoy other people's success, which took a long time. I mean, as an alcoholic and somebody with anxiety and self-esteem issues, there's a long time and it's tragic that you just get bitter and upset when people get stuff, which is like the greatest tragedy of my life that there was a period in my life that people I loved
1: would get success and I would be upset about it. And to now have this like poison, it's poison for your life, man. It's, it's terrible because you want to, you want to, uh, you know. Look, I've been there to some degree myself, and you and you want. If they're your friend, and you're fucking funny, then it's it's a win for you, and it's a win for comedy. You know. Absolutely, and it's that thing of a rising tide lifts all
0: boats. It's it's so funny to you get you get bitter, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait, more people know who we are because of this, and it's just like, oh right. But I had. To, it's a huge
1: moment in their life you know yeah
0: well that was a great moment in the mark marin louis ck uh podcast if you remember that episode it's like it's like a fucking movie it's amazing (laughs) and marin is just so honest he's like yeah i was just getting bitter and louis like well you're being a shitty friend it really hurt me and it's just like so touching i mean i don't i don't know what their relationship is is
1: marin's a complicated guy but uh you know it's tough It, it it mark is such a great interviewer and such a you know such a legendary comic too but it doesn't mean you still don't have work to do on yourself we all have work to do on ourselves, you know
0: yeah of course no he's fantastic i mean that show made
1: me want to do this show you're like oh i want to have some conversations like that doing his show was a highlight of my life it was one of the highlights comedically because it's like i it's it was such a groundbreaking podcast and he is such a great interviewer He's tremendous. Yeah. No, I'm like,
0: that's like a guy I don't know at all. I've only talked to him for that one hour and then 10 minutes in Montreal one time. But
1: I'm like, I like, love that guy. I have so much like reverence for that guy. I remember his Letterman sets and just being like, man, these are kind of edgy sets. I thought it was so cool. And uh, I remember opening for him like 10, 11 years ago in San Jose at Rooster Teeth Feathers. And I I was like featuring, I broke even on the weekend, but uh, I just want to work with him. And it was pretty cool. It was It was like right when he started selling out on the road. So, I remember uh, I was at the cellar one time and I was on stage and I just saw him like
0: in the little, you could see the doorway. Sometimes someone's just waiting there. And I saw him and I was like, oh my God, it's Mark Maron. So I just immediately shifted gears and went into like my anxiety material. Cause I'm like, he's going <laughs> to see this. He's going to see this and be like, this guy's a genius. And then he didn't even acknowledge me when I came off. And he probably was like, oh, here's a guy doing my shit. <laughs> I mean, like I realized such a bad, that is the worst thing when you see someone in that fucking doorway that you admire and you're just like oh just fucks with you yeah hey, i don't like looking i just kind of want to do my thing well i was always so grateful because the first time louis saw or heard me he was sitting in the steps but he didn't come into the way you can see and it was it made me so relieved because if i had seen him i probably would have been like oh boy it started fumbling and shit but it's nice to oh, have- i remember when he saw you at irish exit wasn't that when he first saw you i don't think i think he saw me at the cellar first no, no. is at the cellar because oh, okay. um yeah because i just started doing this new joke and he's like is that like right. your classic bit and i was like no no it's brand new and he was like oh wow that was big um i think he yeah, saw leader at irish exit and loved him oh yeah, yeah oh
1: yeah yeah that makes sense
0: yeah um but anyways we got to wrap up i know you have uh somewhere to be but man this is so fun i love time to- it's first of all just nice to catch up now it's like we need podcasts to uh catch up with people (laughs) it's such a horrible and and anytime uh the podcast will just call me man i miss you yeah man it's always uh it's always good to see you and uh you're fucking kicking ass man you're like my favorite comedian it's so weird Uh, that's a weird thing about comedy too is when you're which makes sense it never even occurred to me that eventually your peers become your favorite comedians which is so strange because you're always like you i like carlin and i like eddie murphy and then all of a sudden i'm like oh sam and nate bargazzi are my two favorite comics
1: and Dude, I, it's you're weird a bit about your bit about uh the guy talking shit to your wife and like hey you're just like well we're very sorry you feel that way and you just crap <laughs> the way you act out and put my like that's like every favorite part of my bit like an, a working act out self-deprecating uh, unpredictable like that's such a great you have so many great bits i mean your, your netflix half hour is just like the most one of the most bulletproof half oh, hour. i love half hour. i'm a big half hour special fan me too i, I agree I, I don't get why i like, i think all my i don't think i'm ever going to put a special out over 50 minutes why you just I, lose people you you the the your fans will i guess watch it all but then you're trying to get new people i think more specials is the way to do it
0: yeah, I agree. And I always like 45 minutes. I'm like, I do 45 in the road. That was like a club set when I was starting, when I was coming up and and especially nowadays an hour is just fucking long. People don't have the attention spans for that shit. An hour of st- an hour 10 of stand up is like a 4-hour movie. <laughs> right. It's just it's like what are we what are we trying to prove here? But um, but no, it's fun and uh, I'm I'm excited to see your shit i mean like it, it, it i'm glad you're it exists because it, when i see you it makes me want to be better it makes me have you to too, be man. better you too i love your stuff um all right well plug plug some of the stuff plug the podcast and well i, don't I have a basketball pod
1: exactly. with a, a basketball pod with stavros called paul don't pod don't live a drinking pod with norman called we might be drunk i have uh i have Two specials on YouTube right now. We, uh, up on the roof, which was my pandemic special. And then I got this, which is tighter jokes, but it's, you know, it's more of like an actual special. But up on the roof is kind of like a messy, fun special. But, uh, yeah, doing the road. I'm on the road like every weekend of the year. I can't wait. I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm loving being on the road more than ever. I already loved it, but now it's like, oh, this is like, this is what it's all about. This is, this is the best that's
0: great fucking kick ass yeah i feel like uh yeah i'm just trying to keep pace with you so i appreciate i appreciate your time i know you got to run thanks so much that's all everybody mindful metal jacket is hosted by comedian joe list produced by joe list edited by matt kleinschmidt executive producers robert kelly and matt kleinschmidt for the laugh button Podcast.